0: Well, it's been quite a week, hasn't it? I don't know about you, but I've been thinking about how nice it would be to have a week where there's really no news that goes on. Wouldn't that be kind of nice to just have a boring week for once? Well, depending on your perspective with the election, you know, today you might be feeling in a celebratory mood. You might be feeling more in a grieving sort of mood. You might be just kind of confused about the whole thing. And so we want to acknowledge that. And I think it's important for us again to remember some truths. One of those is that political parties, candidates, even political positions will not last, but the kingdom of God is forever. And we are called first and foremost to be citizens of God's kingdom. I was thinking, you know, when I was born, it was 1978. And Jimmy Carter was the president in the United States. Brezhnev was the leader of the Soviet Union. Hirohito was the emperor of Japan. And Jesus was Lord. Now today, that many decades later, only Jesus is still in office out of, those, out of that list, right? Jesus is Lord. And that's true today. It will be true 100 years from now and 1,000 years from now. Empires come and go, presidents come and go, leaders come and go. Jesus stays the same, and our hope is found in him alone, not in any one or anything of this world. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we shouldn't care about politics or elections, but I think we need to be so, so very careful as Christians because the most important command that Jesus gives each one of us is to love one another. Not just those who agree with us, not just those who vote like us, but love one another, every single one another. As we talked about a few weeks ago when we did a series on politics, I think we need to model for the world what it looks like to disagree politically and yet love unconditionally. And then join Jesus's prayer before he went to the cross when he prayed that we would be one that we would be united in him. And Jesus says what's at stake is not a small thing. What's at stake is our witness to the world. He says the way people will know we are his followers is not by how we vote, not by how we do anything other than love one another. So I want to encourage you wherever you're at to take a deep breath this week to trust in God again, and then find ways, find tangible ways to reach out to others in love, especially those that you disagree with. And lastly, with a nation as divided as we seem to be, I think what our nation needs is to see a church and experience a church that is united. And so how can we come together to show the world, to show our country, to show our community what it looks like to be united? That's our job. That's what we need to focus on. Now, I've always been fascinated by buried treasure. I remember back to when I was a kid reading Robert Louis Stevenson's book, Treasure Island. I remember watching the Disney movie that was made about that book. I remember even more being enthusiastic about the Muppet version of Treasure Island that I watched many times. When I was a teenager, I went down to the Florida Keys to go sailing with my Boy Scout troop. And one of the highlights of our sailing trip is we visited an island which was known to be a haven for pirates. And there were still foundations of some of their buildings. And it was said that there there was buried treasure all over This island. And so I remember going home to where we lived and we had this vacant field behind our house and I was running around with a shovel, digging little holes, hoping I would somehow find a buried treasure. Well, finding treasure is such a universal theme and dream that even Jesus talked about it over 2,000 years ago. He tells a one-verse parable about finding a treasure in Matthew chapter 13. And this is what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Now, I love to picture what this story was like. This man is maybe out for an afternoon hike. He goes through a field. He's got a walking stick, and suddenly he feels something hollow in the ground. And so he kneels down, and he digs away until he finds a chest, and he pulls it out, and he opens it up, and he finds it full of priceless treasure. Well, he looks around to make sure no one saw what he found. He puts it back in the hole. He covers it up to hide it. And quickly, he goes back to town where it says he sells everything. But I think the key, what Jesus says, is in his joy. Think of how joyous this moment is, how excited he is for what he's about to receive. Even though he's giving up everything he owns, he's filled. With joy, probably so much so that other people can see it on his face, sells everything he has just so he can possess this treasure. And Jesus says the one and only thing that is worth that kind of joy, the only thing that is that priceless is the kingdom of heaven. That's where real treasure is found. It's not in our bank accounts. It's not in our investment portfolios. The real treasure is the kingdom of God. And so, church, what I wanna, want you to hear most clearly today, if you don't hear anything else, this is what I want you to hear. Jesus Christ is the most valuable treasure you can find. Jesus Christ is the most valuable treasure you can find. And my hope and my prayer for you today is that you wouldn't miss out on this incredible treasure. In fact, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't uncovered that treasure for yourself today, that is what matters the most And in fact, I want to give you permission right now, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have that treasure in your life, to forget everything else I have to say today. Maybe get out your phone, get out a Bible, just start reading one of the Gospels where you can meet him face-to-face. Come grab me after the service, shoot me an email, because I believe he is the treasure we all need. Now, this short parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13 is not the only time that he talks about treasure or money or possessions. In fact, did you know that 15% of everything Jesus had to say in the Gospels had to do with money and possessions? In fact, he talked about those things more than heaven and hell combined. And I think the reason is he knew and he knows that our faith and our finances are inseparable. Our faith and our finances are inseparable. And one of the biggest barriers to a growing relationship with Jesus, one of the biggest barriers that we can encounter for living for God is our money. And I think one of the most accurate indicators of our spiritual health and our spiritual growth is how we approach and think about our finances. One of the most accurate indicators of where we're at in our relationship with God, how much we're trusting him, how much we're putting our faith in him, is how we think about and how we approach our finances. See, how we choose to spend or save or give ties directly to our faith and trust in God. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, great, this is that time of year where we have to listen to the preacher, talk about money again. It's so predictable. Maybe you're thinking, you know, money is just my own thing. We shouldn't have to talk about this in public. But you see, that's why it's so closely connected to our spiritual life. Our checkbooks, our bank accounts are generally held in secret. Right? We, we might share it with our spouses, maybe with our CPA. God certainly knows what's going on. But it's easy for us to not let the world know where our heart lies in regard to our finances, which again is so closely tied to our faith and trust in God. Now you also might be thinking at this point that this is the most accurately titled sermon series ever. The church just wants your money. Have you ever thought that before? Have you ever heard someone say that before? Well, before we dive in to the meat of this message, I want to make a few things clear. The first thing is we don't want something from you. We want something for you. Because our money and our possessions are such a core part of our spiritual life, we simply want you to understand what's at stake. We want you to understand why this is so important. And we want you to hear God's invitation to a better way of life. There is this fundamental connection between our spiritual health and how we think about and approach our money. Now, that means it not only matters today in the here and now, it also matters for eternity. Now, the other reason this is so important is that money is one of the biggest sources of stress in our lives today, maybe apart from elections and politics. But not only that, money and finances are the number one cause of divorce in our country today. So what if you could have more freedom? What if you could have more margin? What if you could have more joy When it comes to your finances, would you say yes to that invitation? Because that's what this series is all about. And one more thing I want you to know as we go through this series. We believe in these principles so much, and we think they are so important for each one of us, for our spiritual growth and our spiritual health. We believe that they will simply improve your life so much. That if you ever feel like we're just out for your money, if for some reason you're skeptical about Calvary or you don't trust us for some reason, well, we would love to have an opportunity to talk with you. But I want to encourage you to keep on coming and connecting with us and then give your money somewhere else. Remember, we want something for you, not just something from you. And what we care most about is the state of your soul, which is eternal, not your finances, which is temporary. So we take Jesus so seriously, we take his words so seriously that we think it's important that we put it into practice. And if somehow Calvary is a stumbling block within that, go find somewhere else to live out Jesus's words. So Jesus talks about treasure again in Matthew chapter 6. More specifically, how we should approach our own treasure. Here's what he has to say. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I want you to first notice he doesn't say our earthly treasures are bad. No, what he says is our earthly treasures will not last. You can't take them with you when you go from this life. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul behind it. We can't take our things and our stuff and our accounts with us when we leave this life. Now there's an old preacher story about a man who is just an incredible miser. He was all about accumulating more and more money and that's all he focused on every day and he held it closely and he never wanted to share it with anyone Well, he was coming towards the end of his life, and so he told his wife that his dying wish is that he would finally be buried with all of his money. And he made her promise that she would make sure that all of his money was in his coffin when he was buried. She said, okay, I will do that for you. So finally, this man passes away, and they have a beautiful funeral out at a country church. And then they go out to the cemetery where his coffin is there at the graveside. And before they close the top, his wife slowly went up and she put a large box into the coffin with him. And the funeral director closed the lid. Well, as the wife went back to her group of friends, her best friend said, you didn't do it, did you? You didn't really put all of his money in there with him. She said, oh, yes, I did. Every cent of it. He said, yeah, I wrote him a personal check. (laughs) You can't take it with you when you go. Jesus says, instead, make sure you store up treasures in heaven. Now, what that means is that he's saying, invest in what has lasting value. Storing up treasures in heaven is investing in those things that have lasting value. There's an author named Randy Elcorn who wrote a short little book called The Treasure Principle. And that's the source that I'm using for much of this message series. And he says the treasure principle, directly from Matthew 6, is this. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Anything we try to hang on to here in this life will be lost, but anything we place in God's hands will be ours forever. Instead of investing into temporary gains, we should focus on investing into the eternal. You see, when you store up treasures in heaven, like Jesus tells us to you will never stop receiving dividends. Treasures in heaven are anything that has eternal significance. It's pointing people to the gospel. It's connecting people to the promises of God. It's supporting the mission of God's church. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And I believe if you embrace that principle in your life, It will change your life. And you'll find yourself like that man that Jesus talked about in Matthew 13 who finds that treasure and in his joy gives his life for it. What if you and I could experience that kind of overflowing joy? But you see, if we're honest, This is a pretty big shift for most of us because we are conditioned to try to find satisfaction and security in the things of this world. We think if we can just accumulate enough, we can somehow be bulletproof. If we want to find satisfaction and fulfillment, we think we just need a little bit more. And what happens is we naturally live our life with closed hands, instead of open hands, like God intends for us. So to truly experience this kind of life that God invites us into, I think we need some keys along the way. And the first important key that we can't ever forget is that God owns everything. And you and I are just his money managers. God owns everything. We are just his managers. Now I'm gonna go quickly through some Bible verses throughout scripture that help give us a picture of this. First is Psalm 24, verse one, where it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Now, when I was in seminary, we had to take Hebrew and Greek to try to read the Bible in its original languages. And I can tell you, in the Hebrew everything means everything. All right? There is nothing outside of that category. God owns everything. The entire world is created by him, the entire world belongs to him. So we need to check ourselves before we start thinking, well, I own that or even I deserve that. Because look at Haggai 2:8. It's a short book in the Old Testament. God says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. To which we might say, but I put in the time, I punched the clock, I did the work, I earned it, so doesn't it belong to me? Well, look at Deuteronomy 8.18, where it says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So not only does God own everything, The only reason you and I are able to earn money or to even do a job is because God has gifted us with that ability. But then he goes even a step further in 1 Corinthians 6, where it says you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You see, God finds you so valuable that he sent his only son to pay the price for your soul on the cross. Even you belong to him, and he paid the most amazing price, which is the life of his only son. God is the owner. We are just his managers. Now, I think that means shifting our mindset. God doesn't give us what we have so that we can just go do whatever we want. No, instead, a better way of thinking about it is God entrusts what we have to our care. It's still his every single day. It all belongs to him. And whenever we start thinking or feeling like we are the owners, it should be a huge red flag. Instead, we should be more like investment managers who do everything they can do to find the best places to invest the owner's money. And the thing is, the Bible's clear. One day we will be held accountable for our decisions. Romans 14 says, one day we will stand before God and give an account, which includes how we use all that he's put into our hands. Now, a financial manager's job is to make sure they understand what the owner wants done with their assets And God makes it very clear where he expects us to invest what he gives us. He wants us to invest it into his mission and into expanding his kingdom. When we give to the church or we give to other ministries, it's not so that we can get any recognition. It's not even us being generous. What it is is us using God's money to do God's work. Have you ever thought about that before when we place something in the offering plate or I guess we can't do that during this season when you give a gift to the church or to a ministry it's not ours in the first place it's simply us using God's money to do God's work and I think if we would embrace that kind of thinking it would bring us more freedom more joy less stress less anxiety look at first corinthians or first chronicles 24 29, 14, where it says, everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Again, it already all belongs to him. When we give an offering or a tithe, it's his money in the first place. Listen to the perspective that Job had in Job 121. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be be praised. When we remember God is the owner, we can have that same attitude. It's all his, whether he gives or he takes. And so we're going to praise him for who he is. Also, listen to the attitude of the reformer John Wesley. His house burned to the ground, and he is quoted as saying, the Lord's house burned to the ground. One less responsibility for me. You see, remembering the simple key, has the potential to open up a deep freedom and a deep joy, the joy of living our life with open hands and investing into things that make an eternal difference. When we understand that God is the owner and we're just managers, what we have is just entrusted to us for a short amount of time, it should inspire us to live lives of radical generosity The second key that I think we need to remember is my heart always goes where I put God's money. Your heart always goes where you put God's money. Matthew 621, we read earlier, says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying to us, essentially, show me your bank statement, show me your checkbook, show me your credit card statements and I will show you where your heart is. In fact, if you want to do a quick spiritual checkup, if you're wondering, am I growing in my faith? Am I being obedient to God? The first place to look is your finances, and the second place to look is your calendar. Where you spend your money and where you spend your time says so much about your heart. And I think there's a spiritual truth here. Your life will always move in the direction of your heart. Wherever your heart is, that's going to determine the direction of your life. But your heart will always move in the direction of your treasure. If you want a bigger heart for anything, invest your money and your time in that place. A simple illustration of this is when you buy a new car, suddenly you're on the lookout. If you see an ad for that car, you will tune in especially closely. If you see an article in the newspaper or a magazine about that type of car, you are gonna read it because you have put your money in that place and now your heart will follow. So in the same way, if you give money to help a ministry that helps underprivileged kids in the inner city, when you see an article about that area of the country, you are gonna read it with a renewed passion and interest. You are gonna pray for that ministry daily because you have invested your money into that place and your heart will follow. You see, if I want my heart to be somewhere, I simply need to put my money there, make an investment. You know, Throughout my ministry, I've had people say, I wanna have a bigger heart for missions or I wanna have a bigger heart for reaching others around the world with the gospel. I wanna have a heart for planting churches. Well, if you invest your money into those places, your heart will certainly follow. So how about you? Do you wish you had a bigger heart for the things of God? Do you wish you had more passion for eternal things? then make sure you invest God's money into eternal things and watch what will happen to your heart. In the end, God wants your heart more than anything else. And he knows that our money and our finances are one of the biggest barriers to that. He doesn't want us to just be occasional donors for his kingdom. He doesn't want us to just give our leftovers as an afterthought. He wants us to be filled with a vision and a passion for eternity, sharing the good news around the world. So much so that we couldn't imagine not investing our money and our time into what matters the most. Now, of course, we need to take care of our earthly needs and the needs of our families. But when all of that is taken care of, why shouldn't the rest go towards treasures in heaven? Anyone who works at accumulating more and more in this life is gonna lose it. But we can store up treasures in heaven, which will last forever. And that's the greatest return on investment you could ever, ever receive. So in closing, how will you put these truths into action this week? How are you gonna live this out in your everyday life? Maybe you've never invested in God's mission through the local church before. Well, let me tell you, it's easy to get started. Just go to calvary.org give. Maybe that's the first step of faith you need to take. Maybe you need to sit down with your spouse or your financial advisor and reevaluate your approach to your finances. Maybe if you look around at your life, you feel stuck in your faith, you feel like you haven't grown. Well, maybe this is the place you need to start trusting God more, investing into things that last. Or maybe you just need to be honest with yourself that you have been living life with closed hands. What would it look like this week? to open up your hands and to trust God more. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. God is the owner. We're just his money managers. And my heart will always go where I put God's money. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for all the blessings that you've given to us. God, help us to remember it all belongs to you. Every single scent, every single thing, everything we can see, everything we can't see, it all belongs to you. God, help us to get beyond the illusion that we own anything, that any of it really belongs to us. Help shift our mindset to remember that we're simply managing what's yours. Help us to invest into the things that are eternal. Help us to store up treasures in heaven Help us to continue to make a difference for you and your kingdom. God, you know every one of us has a sinful heart. Every one of us is to some degree inherently selfish. And so help us to take a step of faith this week. Help us to learn to live for you. Help us to relax our grip on all the things that you've given us. Help us to live with open hands and to live lives of radical generosity. God, we believe these things are possible because all things are possible with you. Help us to live for you in all that we say and do. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And let's all say together.